Well, good, good morning to you, and it's good to see each of you here. We are in the midst of a series on uh, stewardship. This is stewardship month for us here, so you happen to be here on a day when we're talking about finances. Uh, so God has blessed you. <laughs> Lucky you. But we're going to share with you this morning uh, three different ways of viewing our giving. Uh, every church that you go to will have some form of an offering. And how should we view this? And I'm going to put three ways in front of you that we generally look at it. Uh, paying a bill, giving a tithe, or sowing a seed. And I'm going to suggest the highest and best is sowing a seed. But let me just say a, a few words, first of all, here about this, uh, the first one. I'm taking as my primary text, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10, which says that he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He will supply seed for sowing. Some view the offering time as a time when we have to pay our bills. I think this uh, is okay. Every church has light bills and heating bills and cooling bills and mortgages and staff and missions. and So there's obligations that we have, but uh, paying a bill uh, doesn't seem to rise to the level of the biblical, especially the New Testament view of giving. Um, it doesn't provide an optimism. It doesn't provide a worship time. One man said that a young person knocked on his door at the beginning of, su- uh, of the summer and asked for a small donation toward the neighborhood swimming pool. So he went in and got him a glass of water. <laughs> 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 Paying a bill is something like that. We tend to minimize how little can I get by with, or, and we tend to compare, am I giving more than others? Am I doing more than my share? And... I'm not sure that it has a biblical basis. Uh, So let me suggest another, a higher level of giving motivation, and that is giving a tithe. We would certainly find this in the Old Testament in the Law of Moses. And in Genesis 14, in verse 18, there is a high priest in Jerusalem by the name of Melchizedek. And Abraham has just returned from winning a battle over his enemies and rescuing his nephew Lot. Melchizedek, the high priest, brought out to Abraham bread and wine, uh, the, the symbols of Holy Communion. And it's, he, Melchizedek, the high priest, said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, 
who is possessor of heaven and earth. And it says, Genesis 14, 20, that Abraham gave to him, this high priest in Jerusalem, this Melchizedek, he gave to him a tenth of everything. Now, a tenth of everything from his battle, from his blessing. And yet to remember that this is before the law was ever given. Uh, Melchizedek and Abraham's interaction there is about four to five hundred years before the law of Moses. This is in Genesis. The law comes in Exodus. And another thing to point out is that Abraham tithed to Melchizedek not to get the blessing, but because he had already received the blessing. He had already won the victory. And so I think that we, uh, sometimes people write off tithing as if it's under the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant did not start till Moses. Abraham precedes Moses. So tithing was already in place before the law. And the interesting thing about Melchizedek and Abraham is that it's referred to in Hebrews 7 verse 4, and it points out that Melchizedek was a picture of Christ. And you can, you can pull this up here, Hebrews 7 verse 4. He says, see how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. He's talking about how Melchizedek, our high priest in the Old Testament, was a picture of Christ before the law. And Abraham gave him a tithe, thus legitimizing and undergirding his priesthood. And then he says in verse 8 here, and here men that die receive tithes. That means... He probably meant in the temple, the priesthood there, they received tithes, but they they all died. But Christ there, Christ receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. He's saying, look, if you can give tithes to men down here that die, how much more should we tithe to the living Christ who is our high priest and the basis of our blessing It is a testimony that he lives. And we are acknowledging the source of that priesthood and the legitimacy of it. Someone wrote, and I think accurately, that Paul says of Holy Communion in 1 Corinthians 11 that when we have communion, it witnesses to his death until he comes. It bears witness of his death. Remember we have bread and wine, we have the communion, remembering his death, until he comes. And in Hebrews 7, it says that the tithe bears witness to his life. Communion bears witness to his death. The tithing and the offering bears witness to his life. So that in a worship service... We can do both of those bearing witness to his death in communion, holy communion, and bearing witness to his life in our worship and tithing. The tithe under Moses was used to maintain the temple and the worship of the people. 
the tithe was set aside by God to uphold the Levites, the priesthood, the stranger who needed sustenance, the orphans, and the widows. Deuteronomy 26, 12. Look at this one, if you can make that out. He says, when you have finished paying all the tithe, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, then you are to say before the Lord, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house and given it where it belongs. There it is for the ministry of people and to help the poor, the widows. We have a widow's fund. We help them every month. Uh, We helped this past week. We just helped a young mother get her car fixed so she can keep her job. So the sacred portion is now out of my house. What is that? That's the tithe. It's sacred to God. That's the English Standard Version. So we can view the offering as simply paying a bill, or we can view it as giving the tithe for the work of ministry. But I think there's an even better way to view it that we find in the Apostle Paul. We can view the offering as sowing a seed. Now this connects the act of the moment to a future expectation. Somebody said that the, that when a seed leaves your hand, it doesn't leave your life. It goes into the ground and brings a harvest into your future. Now that is the way Paul presents the giving and the offering. In 2 Corinthians 9, remember, he's taken up an offering. And he's teaching them about his offering. And he's saying it's like sowing seed. Giving money is like putting a harvest into your future and onto your calendar. Maybe you've heard of the phrase seed money. There are some problems, though, with sowing seed. Seeing money as sowing seed. Let me just... uh, name three or four here to help us view the offering time as seed sowing. Here's one issue that comes up. Came up this morning in the first service. And that is, what's the field? If if giving is sowing seed, where do we sow it? Where's the best place to sow it? What is God, where does God want us to sow it? Now, it's true, we can sow seed a lot of different places. But I'm going to give to you a verse, and I don't think we have this on the uh, screen, but I'll read it to you. It's 1 Corinthians 3. Where do we sow the seed? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. He who plants nor he who waters is anything, only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters, each will receive his wages according to his labor. We are God's fellow workers 
And you are God's field. What does he mean, you? The church. He's talking about himself and Apollos and how one planted another and watered. But what's the field? Where did they do this cultivation, this spiritual farming in the church at Corinth? He says, you are God's field. Now, I want to suggest to you that there's a lot of worthy causes you can give to. You can give to the Boy Scouts, Red Cross, Democratic Party, which I don't suggest. There's a lot of things you can give to. God says, sow your seed in the field. Ruth 2.8, I was reading Ruth a few weeks ago, and Boaz, who is kind of a picture of Christ, because he is called a redeemer in the book of Ruth. He's he's the the rich descendant or uh, ancestor of David who marries Ruth. And Ruth 2.8, he says to her, Listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but stay close to my young women. Stay close to my workers here. Glean in this field, because this is my field. So I would suggest that take as your target the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a second issue. It's the issue of actually releasing it. God gives us seed, and it's easy to, I don't know, save it. It's easy to compare it. I have more seed than you do. Even trade it. Sometimes we hoard it. But God will multiply your seed with this condition. Uh, Pull up 2 Corinthians 9.10. I've got two of them here I want to show you. Uh, Right here. A little, little foggy there, but it'll have to do. English Standard Version. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Now look at the way the King James puts it. I I think King James hits it right on the nail, right on the head here. There's a little distinction with a huge difference. He that ministers seed to the sower will minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown. Up there, it's seed for sowing. Here it's, he'll multiply your seed that is sown. I think that's it. How does seed multiply? When it's in the ground. So in the same way, Paul is saying, look, you have this in your pocket And you want to multiply it. You see what this does for giving? It means the offering is not a time to pay a bill like somebody knocking on the door wanting a donation. No, this is a time for sowing. This is the season. This is the opportunity. This produces eagerness, happiness. I'm a farmer. This is what I've waited for. That's why in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul also says, God loves a 
cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. You give as you decide in your heart, not reluctantly, under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. He wants you to see this as a harvest field which God will bless and bring back to you so that you can increase in the momentum of your harvest. So releasing it, actually putting it in the ground, and by that I would even add this carefully, but I think it should be said. Praying is not a substitute for sowing. Can I get an amen on that? Can you see a farmer standing at his field and saying, Oh God, I pray you'll give me a rich harvest. And he can stand there till the cows come home. He's not going to get a harvest, is he? He can sow and get one. Now he can pray God's blessing on it after it's sown... You don't pray to get a harvest, you sow to get a harvest. Here's a third issue. Not only the field that we sow the seed in, secondly, actually putting it in the ground, but third uh, issue is our emotions rather than Scripture. Sometimes it just doesn't feel good. Somebody said, uh, you, we should always give till it hurts. Well, some people, it hurts to give a dollar. There's a father took his son to a church service, and it was a little long, and on the way home, the father said, son, what would you think? He said, well, it's a pretty good show for 50 cents. Some people, it, it hurts to give 50 cents. Here's what Psalm uh, Psalm 126, verse 6 says. Give me that. They that sow in tears (laughs) will reap in joy. And he that goes forth and weeps, bearing precious seed, will doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves. You know, the bundle of harvest, the wheat harvest. You will doubtless come again, even if it's an emotionally disturbing, distraught time to give, to actually let it go. But we tend to follow our emotions rather than Scripture. And I want to pull this next verse up also, Ephesians 6, 7, and 8. Because I want you to know that no matter how you feel, if you put the seed in, God will see that it comes back to you and He will multiply it. Now, I'm not a big prosperity preacher, but I'm giving you some verses, and I want you to look at this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. This should just undergird your faith. Those of you who give, those of you who teach, those of you who pray, those of you who, who greet, those of you who work in the nursery, those of you who do anything in the church, I want you to look at this. We should render our service with goodwill to the Lord, not man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord. God records every good thing you do. And he makes sure it's going to come back to you. 
And I think it'll come with interest. God always repays an interest. In Genesis twenty-two seventeen. Abraham was told by God to surrender up Isaac. And when he did, he said, Genesis twenty-two seventeen, Blessing, I will bless you and multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and the sand on the seashore. Abraham, you gave me one son, your one son, your only son. I'm going to give you more children and more descendants than you can count. You see how that works? In John chapter 12, God planted his own son. John 12, 23, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. But Jesus said, Except a corn of wheat fall in the ground and die, it's alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. God put his seed in the ground, the best he had. Somebody said he bankrupted heaven to plant that seed. And what did it do? It produced not only that seed back, but many sons and daughters who love him. So that is an issue, is saying, okay, this may hurt, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to expect a harvest. This is sowing the seed. This is believing that when you give, you're giving to God in His church, in His field, and you're actually putting it in the ground, walking away and leaving it with Him. No matter how you feel, you believe you'll receive it back from the Lord with interest. God will be debtor to no man. And then a fourth and final issue in sowing giving as sowing, is that we can become weary in it. You get weary in well-doing. We don't seem to reap. Maybe go through a season of dryness. Galatians 6, verse 9 and 10, gives us an encouraging word. Let us not grow weary in doing good, he says. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up, if we do not faint. In due season, we will reap. So then notice, as we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone. See, that's the sowing. Especially those who are the household of faith. You can, uh, 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 and we do, help people outside the church. Do good to everyone. But our target is the household of faith. So let us not grow weary in doing good. You will reap in due season. Andy Stanley gives the illustration of the dust bowl in 1931. Rain just stopped in Oklahoma, about a five-state area where it just didn't rain for year after year. And the farmers would plant and nothing would happen. A hundred million acres turned to dust. And so it was described as the dust bowl. They said literally you could plant seed in Oklahoma 
and a few days later, you could find it in Missouri. The winds would just come in and blow that everywhere. They'd have these huge dust clouds. And the farmers, they said that the farmers began to develop an unhealthy attachment to seed. Because they'd go in and they'd buy their seed, they'd plant it, nothing would happen, so the next year they'd do it again, nothing would happen. And so they began to get very timid about releasing seed, planting. they just put it in the barn. They knew nothing's going to happen if it's not in the ground. But they had been hurt, disappointed, and the season had been prolonged, and there didn't seem to be a harvest. There was one man named Jeremiah Clay, and he decided that he would sow. Many farmers were just selling out whatever they could get and going farther west. He stayed. Jeremiah Clay planted one more crop. And it turned out to be the richest crop on record in 19, around 1935. The richest on record planting one more time. I want you to go forward saying, Lord, I, I don't know if I see harvest today or this fall or next spring, but I'm going to plant and I'm going to pray and I'm going to work because I believe that the God of heaven is going to give me a harvest. And that's the way we face the future.